So we are going to be in the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. If you brought your Bible, I would invite you to go ahead and open up to that passage. If not, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Again, as you can see there on the screen, it is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. Uh, So when I was in college, my freshman year, like most probably of you that went to college, my freshman year was not quite as awesome as I hoped it would be, uh, particularly academically. Um, I did well in high school. I I made good SAT scores, and so I was able to get uh, a pretty good scholarship from Hardin-Simmons University out in Abilene. Uh, But the first semester, I didn't take it nearly as seriously as I should have, especially a couple of history classes. Can I get an amen from anybody out there? Uh, And it didn't go as well as I had hoped. Uh, GPA wasn't as high as it needed to be. Uh, And I got news from the university, news that I wasn't prepared for, uh, that evidently in order to maintain a scholarship, you have to keep a certain GPA. Who knew, right? Uh, And so they they let me know that and put me on the good old academic probation. Uh, Long story short, uh, I turned things around pretty quickly, ended up with a pretty good GPA at the end of everything, was able to get the scholarship back. Uh, But that second semester, I did not get the scholarship. And it wasn't just It was $2,000 a semester, so it was a pretty hefty scholarship, scholarship that that I paid for dearly, and that's not necessarily one of those phone calls you want to make back to home. Hey, mom and dad, I need some money. How much? Two grand to help me pay for college. Uh, But anyway, that's kind of the the feeling that that I felt in that situation was one of failure. Um, You know, I I like to think of myself as a smart individual, and that kind of flew in the face uh, of all of that, and my success in high school didn't wasn't as easy as it was in, in college, and, and I didn't live up to my expectations, didn't live up to the expectations of those around me. Uh, the New Testament was actually one of the classes that I struggled. I know I shouldn't tell you that as your pastor, but um, there was a sense of, of failure that, that came with that. Maybe you can identify with that, with that sense of failure, with not living up to expectations that you set for yourself, maybe that other people have unwillingly thrust upon you, maybe having a goal that you didn't achieve, maybe you can identify with that sort of feeling. You know, a feeling that goes almost hand in hand with failure is the feeling of rejection. And maybe you can identify with that as well. All of us have probably faced rejection at some point in our lives, whether it is being friend-zoned by a crush that we have or being dumped after a long relationship or maybe we don't get the job that we applied for that we know we deserve better than other people that we know that applied for it or a promotion or, or, or maybe it's some kind of, maybe it's as simple as going all the way back to elementary school and being the last kid picked on the playground. All of us have probably felt a sense of rejection before as well. And one more negative feeling that I want to give you, and I'll tell you why here in a minute, and that is the feeling of, of loss. All of us can probably identify with that as well. We have lost people that we love, undoubtedly. If you live long enough, that's going to happen. Uh, maybe it's not just a loss of people. Maybe you lost a job or financially went through some hardship and had to downsize in a house. Or you lost a dream or you lost a relationship or, or you lost your health. Any kind of these things can have that sense of feeling of, of loss. Now, why do I talk about these three negative feelings when we're going through a series on relationships? Because this morning I want to talk about what happens when relationships die. 
Now, to this point, we have went all in and focusing on how God has called us to restore relationship, to bear with each other in love, to forgive when necessary, to be willing to fight to the last drop in order to maintain the godly relationships in our lives. But because of our fallenness and we live in a fallen world and the people that we are in relationship with live in this same fallen world, we do know that sometimes relationships die. And failure plus rejection plus loss is probably what it feels like to suffer the death of a relationship. The feeling of failure that you weren't able to make it work. The feeling of rejection, especially if someone left you. The feeling of someone not wanting to be in your company any longer. The feeling of of loss, especially if it's a long-term relationship. One that you've been in for decades or longer. One that you've invested heavily into. The loss, the death of that in some way I've heard. uh, I haven't experienced it myself, but that that in in, in a way can be like a death. Except the person is still there to remind you of that pain. And so failure plus rejection plus loss. Maybe some of you who have been through and maybe have said in the ashes of a destroyed relationship know what that feels like. Again, God's desire is for us to maintain our relationships, but in this fallen world, sometimes they die. And what does the Bible have to tell us then? How can we have hope? And this morning, if you are in the midst of one of those relationships or you ever have been, and maybe it still smarts the pain that comes from it, The word that I want to give you this morning is that even in the ashes of a dead relationship, there is hope for a child of God. Even in the ashes of a dead relationship, there is hope for the child of God. One of the most hope-filled books, the the most hope-filled book in existence is the Bible. And perhaps one of the most hope-filled portions of the Bible is one of my favorite portions, Romans chapter 8. Many of you probably know this and might be some of your favorites as well. Paul is all about hope in this chapter. He starts it out with hope and claiming that there's no longer any condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He ends it up with, if anybody, if God is for us, who could be against us? And all of this stuff can come against us, but our, we can, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. And so it's this chapter full of hope. And in the middle of it, one of the, I guess, the, the, the less quotable or less popular passages, for whatever reason, uh, we have this word about hope that I want to focus on this morning that talks about our relationship with God and how we can gain strength from that relationship, even in the ashes of a dead relationship. In our life. Again, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. Paul writes these words to the church in Rome For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul focuses on the idea of adoption and the spirit of adoption. Using that metaphor, there's a lot of metaphors used in scripture and and one of the more powerful ones of them is that metaphor of adoption, of what it means to approach God as if he is our father because he actually is our father, that he has granted us full sonship, uh, that it's as if 
every, that we belong to him the whole time because in, in a way we kind of have. But when you, when you break down that metaphor of adoption, in, in some ways it's more profound than even the biological sense of being a child. You see, God didn't have to adopt us. He didn't have to choose us. By our own sinful choices, we decided to declare ourselves children of the world by the way that we behaved, by the things that we chased, by what defined us in our character, by what defined us in our action. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have stepped out of, of, of our relationship with him in our sinfulness. He didn't have to invite us back into relationship, yet God decided to do that. What adoption tells us, and why Paul uses that as a powerful metaphor, is because it tells us that God has chosen you as his child. God has chosen you. He didn't inherit you. He didn't have to raise you. He didn't get stuck with you. None of that happened. God chose you. In a world full of rejection, amidst human rejection, and if you've ever been rejected deeply, you know how low that can be. If that's you this morning, or it has ever been you, let the Spirit testify to you this morning, as Paul says it does, that you are chosen by God. That, that he, he picked you out. He chose you. The Bible uses words like chosen or elect to say that God didn't have to do this, but he chose to give you his salvation. He chose to make you his son or his daughter. God has chosen you. And that offer is never off the table. That offer never goes away. As long as you have breath in your lungs and and, and, and a pulse in your wrist, as long as you are breathing and alive on this planet, you have the opportunity to, to benefit from that offer. To become a son or a daughter of the Most High God who didn't have to choose you but did anyway. God has chosen you as his child. And so if you are in the midst of rejection this morning, in the ashes of that sort of relationship, maybe you need to hear that this morning. No matter who has rejected you or how many times they've rejected you, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a good friend or whatever it may be, no matter how much rejection you face in the world, you will always, through the spirit of adoption that comes through Jesus Christ, be chosen by God. Every single time. We are sons and daughters of this God who has adopted us. And this leads us away, as Paul says, from a spirit of slavery back into fear. It it takes us out of that fear. If you've ever been hurt in a relationship, you know of a certain kind of fear. This isn't the kind of fear that gets gets nervous when you're going up on a roller coaster. This isn't the kind of of fear that that gets a little scared when the plane gets a little turbulence. No, this is the kind of fear that when you've given your heart and your trust and been vulnerable to somebody and they've stabbed you in the back, they've trampled on your heart, they've completely disregarded your feelings and taken advantage of everything that you tried to do for them. It's the kind of fear that says to you after that relationship has crumbled, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to take that risk again. If you've had a friend to stab you in the back, maybe you've ever thought to yourself, who needs friends, right? I, I got my family. I can just go on about doing this. And it would be easier if I just stayed alone. Not that that's the right way to act, but sometimes we're tempted to act that way if we've ever been hurt wrong and deeply. Or maybe it's somebody in our family that has hurt us or wronged us deeply. And we think again to ourselves, who needs family? I can do this on my own. 
I can be the lone wolf. I can go out and, and, and I can take care of myself. And I, if I look out for number one and, and not worry about all this other, then, then my heart will never get broken again. My trust will never be betrayed again. I will, I will never have that feeling of someone stabbing me in the back because I'm not going to trust anybody enough to, to turn my back to them, to give them the knife, to give them to what they need to hurt me. I'm not going to go there ever again. The Bible tells us that God has led us away from the spirit of fear. Away from the spirit of that kind of fearfulness that rejection brings. You see, no matter how shaky people are, God will never let you down. And he will give you the capacity. He will give you the confidence to extend yourself in vulnerability to other people again. If you've been hurt in a relationship or in a church, God will come and he will give you the ability to trust again, even when you think it's unnecessary. Why? Because it's not about trust in people. It's about trust in God. And the children of God have no reason to fear. As a child of God, you have nothing of which you should be afraid. Now, you're going to be fearful. We're all going to be fearful with human beings. But from an eternal perspective, the child of God has no reason to fear. I've told you before that when I was a little kid, I was definitely afraid of storms. I used to dream of, of tornadoes breaking down the window and coming in and getting me. Uh, and my parents, my dad and my uncle, outside shooting tornado with a shotgun. I don't know what that was going to do, but these are dreams that I had. I was definitely afraid of storms. And I remember one time in particular, when we were at our house, there was a bunch of people there. It wasn't just the five of us as a family. There were other people there for some reason. And there was a, <coughs> excuse me, there was a thunderstorm and, uh, the, you know, thunderstorm and all the scariness that went with it, I was already going through. But then as often happens, especially in the country in West Texas, uh, something happened and the power went out. And I remember being completely black. It was nighttime. It wasn't daytime. There were no lights outside. And we lived in the country, so it was very dark outside. Uh, and, and I remember getting extremely afraid at that point. And, and what do you do as a, as a little kid? I was five or six I might have been 25. I can't remember. I was five or six. I know that. Uh, and I remember getting afraid and thinking, what do I do? And, and what do you do in that? You know, you know what to do, right? You run to dad or you run to mom. You, you, you run to your parent. Why? Because there's something in your brain and you can't articulate it as a five or six year old. You, you can't tell somebody why you run to them, but there's something in your brain that tells you safety is found in the presence of my father. Yes. Uh, that's where I'll be safe. And I remember feeling that way in, in crowds as well. And I can see it in my own children. It's when when they're, they're a little nervous or shy around a big crowd, what do little kids do? They, they get as close to you, like they cling to your leg, right? Sometimes they'll literally grab on and they won't let go. Why? Because safety is found in the presence of your father or your mother. And, and no matter what's going on around you, 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 you feel safe as a child when you're in the presence of your father. In the same way with God, we can have that confidence in Him. Uh, that even when things get dark all of a sudden, even when things are scary and chaotic around us, that if we cling to our Father, if we find ourselves in the presence of our Father, we can say to ourselves, He's got this, and the fear will not be as overwhelming as it is if we try to handle it on our own. There is no reason to fear if you are a child of God. Don't let your distrust in humanity affect your trust in God. Maybe this is a word you need to hear this morning. I know that it needs to be heard in our world. Because there is a lot of reasons not to trust the people around us. 
And I'm not talking about necessarily the people you live with. I just, it seems like in our world today, it's hard to, to trust anybody that comes to a position of authority and politicians and all that sort of thing. It's trust is in, is in small quantities today. It's hard to convince ourselves to trust people from time to time. But no matter how cynical you get about humanity, don't let that affect your trust in God. God's not a human. Right? God doesn't, doesn't lie. God doesn't say he's going to do one thing and then do another. Go back and look at the word. God is faithful to fulfill his promises, even the ones that are thousands and thousands of years old. God is still in the business of fulfilling them today. God is not a human being. He's not part of that same frailty. He is the creator of everything instead. God will never fail you. He will never let you down. Your relationship with God will never be something in which you find uh, him suddenly disappearing, him suddenly rejecting you or turning you away. No, God is always there for you, always there for you. I cannot oversell the love of God. I cannot overstate the fact that his love never runs out. Like there's no way you can trust too much in the love of Jesus Christ. There's no way you can put too much faith or get your hopes up too high and then be let down. That doesn't happen with God. Like you could raise your expectations higher than you could ever possibly imagine and they still would be short of what God is capable of. There is no way you can ask too much, expect too much of God. He will always, every single time come through. People around you may fail you, will fail you. God will not because God does not fail. And so we can trust him in every situation. We can trust his love and the spirit of adoption as his children, his sons and his daughters. And as his sons and his daughters, Paul tells us, if you are children, then you are also heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And your inheritance is a relationship with God that is truly never-ending. Literally eternal. It's a happily ever after if there ever were one. The love of God is an eternally renewable resource. It never runs out. It is impossible to exhaust the inexhaustible love of Jesus Christ. It is both eternal, old as the universe is, and new every morning. It is both familiar and unique. It is everything that we could ever want or ever need. And this love he gives us forever and ever and ever. And it's the right that you have been given as a child of God. Because you have that family name. Those of you who grew up in a small town, perhaps you knew that there were certain names in that town that carried more weight than others. I had the wonderful opportunity to be a part of one of those families in the town that I grew up in. My grandfather was a county commissioner. He was the president of the school board. He was the chairman of the deacons at our church. It was my mom's father, so I bore a different last name than him, but everybody knew that I was Edsel Bankhead's kid, and there's something that, that comes along with that. And it's, it's part of it is... People playing favorites, which isn't a good thing, but at the same time, there was a certain sort of benefit that I got from being his child, from being his grandchild. A certain expectation that I was held to as well for being his grandchild. In the same way with God, because you bear the name Christian, little Christ, follower of Jesus, because you bear the family name, there are certain gifts to which you have available to you. 
Uh, there are certain things that you get that, that don't just come to everybody in the world. Because of your family name, your inheritance, a love that is now and forever is yours. Ride the coattails of your father. Do Take advantage of what he has done for you. Let people define you by what he has done, his success and not your own. That's exactly what he wants you to do. Your relationship with God because of your inheritance is truly never ending. And because that relationship is never ending, Paul goes on to say that even temporary pain is unworthy to be compared to that never-ending glory. He says that the suffering of today is unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. One of my favorite lines in this entire chapter. That the pain of today cannot compete with our inheritance. Now there is indeed pain, but you already know that. We will suffer with him. Paul tells us this and in other places as well as other New Testament writers, including Jesus himself, that to follow Christ is to bear pain. That the world will hate us because it hated him first. That if we stand up boldly and proclaim the name of Jesus, that there will be pain brought our direction. The Bible also tells us that there's a hidden joy there as well. Back in Romans 5, just a few chapters before the chapter, before the verses that I read today, Paul says to rejoice in suffering because suffering brings endurance. Endurance brings character. Character brings hope. A hope that cannot be extinguished, Paul writes. In the same way in other passages in the New Testament, we are told to rejoice in suffering, to rejoice in trials because of what it might produce in us, to rejoice in tribulation. And, and, and for, for one of the main reasons the New, Test, New Testament writers say this is because when we, are, when we are punished, when we go through suffering for Christ's sake, it's like we are considered worthy to suffer along with him, to tell through our own pain the story that he told through his to tell the gospel story of how God can bring hope in any situation. And maybe that's what God needs to tell in your story this morning if you're dealing with a broken or dead relationship. The gospel truth of resurrection. That even in the midst of death, God can bring life. That even when everything has fallen apart, God can put back together. That even when you have had your heart broken and you think it's been broken to the point that it is dead, that it can never feel again, that God can restore hope, that God can restore feeling, that God can bring life where only death seems to be prevalent. In a world that is sometimes managed and and overwhelmed with a sense of chaos and and heartbreak and distrust and, and relationships breaking, God comes into that with this gospel story of resurrection and tells us, I don't care what you've gone through, I don't care how deep the pit is, I can pull you out of that pit. No matter how prevalent the death seems, no matter how powerful the heartbreak is, God can restore and bring resurrection. And when we find ourselves in the midst of that pain, God tells us through his writer Paul, he says that all of that pales in comparison to our coming glory. All of that pales in comparison to our coming glory. A couple of years ago, December 2014, our first Christmas here in Grandview, we decided to get Corbin a little trampoline, one of the small ones that's like a few feet off the ground and has the netting and all that stuff. Uh, and, and I put it together for him on Christmas Eve. It was a little chilly. Dads, you know what that's like. I had to stay up late putting up kids' uh, presents. Mom, I'm sure you do as well. Uh, staying up late and going through that. Uh, and so I remember putting that together for him, setting up outside. I think after we had done everything inside, or maybe we did it right after he woke up. I can't remember. 
and I had my uh, phone out to record it. I couldn't find the video. I was looking for it recently, which is why I'm thinking about it. But um, I realized I didn't have to because it's kind of stuck right here anyway. And so uh, he, he came out of the back door, saw the trampoline. He was kind of expecting it because we had been talking to him about what he wanted. And he just took off in a, in a dead sprint. I say a dead sprint. He was a three-year-old, so he wasn't moving too terribly fast. But, you know, he was moving as fast as he could and saying, let's bounce, Daddy. That's what he kept saying. And we had one of our dogs was there, and he thought that Twix or Snickers, I can't remember which one it was, that Twix should get on and bounce uh, with us or with him. Uh, and, and he just, he was transfixed on that gift. And, and, and there was nothing else in the world. And, and talking about relationships, if you're married, you know what that's like. Maybe you can remember. I know some of you, maybe it's hard if you're in the midst of difficulty, but remember standing in front of God and these witnesses uh, and the pastor on your wedding day and looking at your spouse face to face. I doubt you were thinking in that moment about the argument that you had with your fiance three months ago uh, or about the awkwardness with the family and, and the connections and the families becoming one. I doubt any of that was on your mind at the moment where the pastor said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, you may kiss your bride. I doubt any of that was going through your brain. Now you were transfixed on this relationship and everything else faded away. Do you know that one day, and it's not just a moment, but for an eternal moment, that you and I are going to get to be transfixed on Jesus for the rest of eternity. That we will be at his throne. And it's going to live up to the expectation, y'all. It's not going to be like we go to heaven and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do like the pop culture thing, right? We walk through the pearly gates, St. John, St. Paul. I don't even, I don't remember what pop culture says anymore, who's at the gate. You know, they check us in and, and we go in and, uh, and, and there's this, okay, here's, the, here's the, the mansion on the hilltop over here. Here's the a thousand cattle or the cattle on a thousand hills over here. And here's the gold streets. And, you know, let me tell you all this. And you're going to walk around for a little while. You're going to hear the distance. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come and, and you're going to think to yourself eh, it was okay not as great as I was expecting but I can live with it no that's not going to be your reaction like your reaction is going to be beyond my ability to express as I was thinking about this sermon and trying to craft words in my head and for this outline I thought how can I describe what we're going to see in heaven someday and I came to the conclusion I can't It is literally indescribable. Words don't exist to describe the kind of of feeling that we are going to perpetually and eternally have in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Words can't even begin to get close. Now, you felt the opposite sometimes, right? You felt so deep, so rejected, so much of a failure and so much loss in your heart that you can't use fond words to explain it. Somebody comes up to you in the midst of that failure, rejection, or loss and asks, how are you doing? And you have no idea how to respond because their words don't exist to describe the way that you're feeling. On the complete flip side of that, we will be in the presence of an indescribable joy, indescribable happiness, indescribable contentment and peace and holiness that, that, is, that is beyond the ability to even come close with words. And heaven for eternity, forever and ever and ever. This is what we will have the opportunity to do, to be transfixed upon Jesus. And in that moment, we will not be thinking about the pain of today. 
No matter how bad that pain is, I'm not here to belittle your pain. Your pain is real. It stinks. It's hard. I don't want it and I don't want anybody else to have it. Especially if you're in the midst of a painful relationship. I'm not here to belittle your pain. I'm here to magnify your view of God today. And tell you that no matter how big that pain is, God is so much bigger. So much bigger that Paul is absolutely correct in saying today's pain is not even worthy. Not even kind of worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. What is coming in God will outweigh everything so much that you cannot take time to stop and think about all the regrets, pain, and affliction that you've had in your life. As the songwriter John Mark McMillan says in a song that we sing many times in our church services, how he loves us. All of a sudden, I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. All of a sudden, when we enter into the presence of Jesus, affliction, hardship, everything else will disappear. Why? Because Jesus is there and he needs to be worshipped. And I get to do it. Everything else will fade away. You can endure the pain of today because it will soon be replaced by the joy of eternity. Hold on. Maybe that's the message you need from Paul's words. Just hold on. Grab your father's hand. Paul calls him Abba, Father. That's the Greek word. The basic equivalent of that is daddy in our language. Hold on to your daddy's hand and don't let go. If you're going through hardship, heartbreak, a devastatingly destroyed relationship, hold on because hope is coming. Even in the ashes of a dead relationship, there is hope for the child of God. So are you standing and the ashes this morning. Ashes of a dead relationship. Something that used to seem so hopeful, but now seems lost beyond the ability to fix. My first response to you is to go back, if you have the opportunity, listen to the rest of the sermons in this series, and do everything you possibly can. And then when you finish that, think a little harder and think of some more things you can do. Don't give up. Fight for your relationship. When the other person has gone, when the relationship has died, I want you to have hope this morning. And I want you to hear, because I, I know this isn't easy, and I know rejection can ruin us. I want you to hear above all this morning, God chose you. As his word tells us, before the foundations of the earth, God chose you. He chose, knowing that you would sin and turn your back on him, he chose to send his son Jesus to the cross for you. Now, I can say that generally you, but I mean this morning specifically you as a person. He has chosen you. When the world rejects you, know that God won't. You have been adopted And no matter how many times humanity fails us, God never, ever, ever will. So if you, again, this morning are in the ashes of a broken relationship, I want to encourage you and tell you that there's one relationship that will never fail. And that is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Because His Word tells us once He has us, He's not letting go. There's no going back. May you find hope and truth in that. 
May it be something that gives you the opportunity and the, and the, and the, and the, and the confidence to reach out and love again to other people, knowing that even if they fail you, God will. Let us not be led in the spirit back to slavery, but in the spirit of freedom out of fear, in a spirit of adoption, sons and daughters of the God who chose us, even when he didn't have to.